Okay, so hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Default Global. This is where we connect with global-first entrepreneurs and remote work experts from all around the world. Our guest today is Greg Truxel, uh, Senior Manager Recruiting at Will. Greg, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure, Vit. Excited to get started. Yeah, absolutely. Greg, and it's great to have you on the show. And before we dive into the specifics, right, uh, could you maybe please uh, tell our listeners more about your journey in the recruitment field and maybe some key highlights from your background in, in, in technical recruiting? Yes, of course. I I started, I, like a lot of people, uh, recruiting find you. Uh, and that's what happened to me. Uh, I was working in the sports industry and I got messaged by a recruiter and I was like, this is interesting. So you just message people to find them jobs. That seems fun. Uh, and that's how it all started. And I eventually got into tech about a year or two into doing recruiting. And I loved it. I loved not only like, obviously you're selling an opportunity, which is exciting, but uh, I'm a, I like to view myself as a lifelong learner and I love learning about everything and talking to, it's just fascinating talking to an engineer or a product manager about what they're building or what they're proud of in their career. And that, uh, that passion led me to, uh, through some agencies, started in the agency life and then I worked with a company called Bink, which I'm forever grateful for, uh, and worked with a few of their clients, Silicon Valley startups, uh, all the way from seed rounds, uh, completely stealth mode startup, all the way to pre-IPO companies with whatever they need, whether it's, I don't know what interviewing is to hire as many people as humanly possible. Uh, I, I went in and deployed in and, and did that for that company, that client. Um, and that led me to, to wheel. Uh, which I was connected with. I, I joined as our as Wheel's founding recruiter, I think the 30th employee at Wheel. Um, grew up, raised a series A, B, and C since then and seen many different iterations of the business since that's grown and, and currently leading uh, talent acquisition with the company now, which is uh, it's exciting, it's challenging, but it's it's everything that that I love. And one of the things I, I noticed the most, not, not only is the recruiting part exciting about it, but uh, and it's been my mission, probably identified it probably since COVID is um, you can really grow an organization by design. There's there's data, there's metrics to show that uh, a quality hire can increase revenue substantially for a company. And uh, that's the mission that I'm trying to bring to Wheel and others, um, as well as how much fun it is to match the right person to the right role. That's yeah. Little... And that's 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 awesome. And speaking about Will, right? Will is it, it seems to be a leader in this virtual healthcare industry, right? Making healthcare more accessible and flexible, as far as I understood. So, for those yeah. who are not deeply involved in the healthcare industry, can you break down how Will specifically enhances this consumer-centric care experiences? Yeah, what, what, yeah, what sets you apart from other virtual care platforms? Yeah, yeah, that's a it's a very great question. Um, and apologies if anybody is uh, one of those virtual care platforms listening. I, I don't mean anything bad, but what what I like about what Wheel does is we're thinking of things. Think of it as like an AWS for virtual care in the sense that any business or any organization can plug into Wheel and launch whatever digital health solution they need. That's that's the goal, and it's going to take a long time before Wheel or anyone reaches that end goal. But that's the way we think about our platform. And that way for the user, the consumer, um, they can still interact with the brands that they love and then see a 
an incredible clinician from the comforts of their own home uh, as easy as one, two, three. And I think one of the biggest, uh, the biggest factors, a couple of them for real, one is our, our clinicians that we use are opt-in. Uh, we don't require them to see a number of cases, which would obviously affect NPS scores. Like you, a clinician, where our goal for clinicians is we want to make your life easier, um, give you some extra income. But on the consumer side, it should think of it as like virtual first hybrid care. Um, any curated specialty services, condition management solutions, like we want to offer anybody who uses a, health, a healthcare platform a very seamless experience versus what a lot of us are familiar with, which is disjointed and just like messy old tech, um, which you have to download multiple different apps for. No, we want it one all-in-one resource and platform that you can use. Uh, well, you don't have to change anything you were doing previously. You just have to click one extra button. Um, and then allowing consumers to receive care anywhere in the United States is, is the equity that I think everyone should need. It shouldn't matter where you are, what your socioeconomic status is to determine whether or not you get good care. Um, and that's that's what our platform is is building today. So that just seamless experience, I think, is our differentiator right now from the, mm -hmm. the feedback we've gotten from clients. Yeah, awesome. And Will uh, has quickly become a key player in the virtual care industry, right? And you said that you've been with Bill for, for years, kind of. So could you share your insights on how the demand for virtual healthcare services has influenced your approach to building a remote team at Will? Yeah, you must think of uh, how we say, like, everyone should have the same access to care. It's almost mm -hmm. like everyone should have the same access to a great job. Okay. Um, and yeah. there's there's benefits to it. There's obviously markets that are significantly stronger um, for talent than others, right? But uh, that doesn't mean that the right talent sits in those markets. Um, and I think since COVID, COVID obviously changed everything from virtual stand for virtual care standpoint, and then also obviously employment. There was mass exodus in cities in the United States. Um, the like nearshore engineering really cranked up. Offshore teams really cranked up. There's a whole different viewpoint of how we view, like how we build teams. Uh, and COVID made people think of that. So it was almost like I look at it in parallel as before COVID. I, I don't know what the percentages of interest were or the percentage of people that were doing virtual care, but it was low. And then we got forced into 100% effectively, right? Um, and for non-emergent care. And that, what we've seen since COVID is that stayed the same. The demand for virtual care, what people want is, is that they want virtual care and they want remote work, workforces. There's no hiding that. Uh, so I think it, it there's a lot of like correlations that are very comparable. Uh, and when we think about it, it's like, how do we create a seamless experience for patients? But also we have to think about the same way. How do we think about it for our employees? And how do we build platforms and teams from distributed places around the, around the globe, around the United States? So yeah, it's, it's almost a very similar thought process. Okay, and uh, but but I saw on LinkedIn uh, that your team is mainly based in the U.S., right? So mm -hmm. I got to ask, what's your take on the uh, on on global talent? How do you how do you go about like finding top talent from other countries? Have you yeah. ever tried that, or maybe you have some guys outside of the U.S.? 
Yeah, we actually, we do have a nearshore engineering team that has been amazing. They've been a blessing for us. Um, and then we just actually are spinning up our operations org out of the Philippines. Uh, so we have some customer support resources and operations resources out of the Philippines. Uh, as far as like a full-time resource, uh, that's not, we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, as we continue to grow though, that's something that we'll, we'll think about. But yeah, so it was just really 2022 was the first time we, mm -hmm. we branched into more global. But but generally speaking, uh, do you see expanding internationally in, in as a future move for Will, um, especially given the virtual nature of your services, is that kind of yeah. the right move for you? <laughs> there is it's a really good question, and I I don't have a full answer right now. A lot of what what's going on in virtual care is that it, like the laws aren't written yet because it's so new. Um, there's new legislation coming out. It seems like four times a day about what we can and can't do. And that obviously dictates what we can do from a global perspective when it comes to HIPAA and PHI patient data. Uh, it's very sensitive to like how we're able, how people are able to access that information overseas. Uh, there, for instance, there was a Florida law that went down uh, a couple months ago that completely changes the way, like if we hired somebody globally, they wouldn't be able legally be able to access certain information anymore. So as that changes quite quickly that we have to kind of move around with that. So the strategy right now isn't to go global per se uh, from a full-time perspective, but uh, as virtual care continues to define itself in the US with those privacy laws, uh, that will enable us to inform our decision-making better in the future. Mm -hmm. Okay. and. Uh, uh Frankly speaking, I was um, super intrigued by your deep dive into recruited cost ratios at Will. Yeah. So the, the way you balance um, efficiency and investment in the hiring process is very, I guess, relevant topic for discussion nowadays, right? Especially given the economic this turbulence we're seeing now, right? So mm -hmm. could you maybe uh, explain what the recruiter cost ratio is and why? Mm -hmm. It, it matters. Yeah, it's it's a very similar calculation to cost per hire, which is something that I think most recruiting teams hear of and, and use often. Um, the one flaw of a cost per hire is what happens when there's a slowdown. You you're taking all the money that you've used to hire somebody, the recruiter salaries, the tooling costs, agency costs, and you're divided by number of hires, but if you only had to make two hires, that cost per hire number is going to be very alarming to the executive team. So you kind of want to shift the thinking as like, because that cost per hire number is not a real reflective number for how that team performs. It's just the climate that that team is within. Uh, so you want to be able to show your team the efficiency and relate that to value and, and quality of hire. So I, I, Kind of change the thinking to that recruiter ratio cost ratio and what i think about is you do the same thing as cost per hire so you calculate all the salaries all the tolling all the agency fees of everything that you've put together and you divide it by the salaries that you've brought on uh, of the individuals and what that spits out is a is a decimal number that you can turn into a percentage say it's the goal for me is 15 or under and if it's 15 per se 
that tells your executive team that for every dollar that that executive team spends on a new hire, only 15 cents of that dollar were used to acquire them. So that means the rest of the money, 85 cents on the dollar for every dollar they spend will go into their performance and development, which is huge. That's a huge metric to, to give to an executive team that it's only costing 15 cents per dollar to hire somebody. Um, and it just shows your team is operating efficiently. If that cost per hire, if it went too long, for example, if you, if the search took six months and it said it took four, well, on a recruiter cost ratio, if it took four months, you only have to calculate for four months, but now you're calculating for six. So that ratio is going to go up higher and higher for the longer that search is. So it shows that we're finding the right people in the right amount of time. And if you can create that efficiency, you can show that yes, cost per hire is higher, but relative to the environment that we're in, that doesn't matter as much as are we being efficient and are we hiring the right person? Um, so that's what that's what it helps create. Okay. In in one of your uh, previous podcasts, you talked about keeping your career cost ratio between, I guess, 10 and uh, 10 to 13 percent. That's that's pretty specific, in fact. So, how do you did you land on those numbers, and have you noticed any shifts in that ratio due to the current crisis? Yeah. So I've found so ten to thirteen percent means you're very efficient, and ten is hard to obtain. Um, but I, anything under fifteen, I would say, is good. Anything above means there's probably improvements you could make, and. It, it, a high recruiter cost ratio isn't necessarily a cause for alarm. Like you could have a high recruiter cost ratio in this one time frame. Say you're, you're it took three months to do a search, and you want to calculate that ratio. So you're calculating all the costs for two months, but you also use an agency that you had to pay to help help you with that. So that those that three month period is probably going to look a little bit higher. But the next three month period, say you're not using this agency, it's going to go back down. Um, but it's important that if the recruiter cost ratio is higher, you have some metric to back it up about the higher performance because that's going to matter significantly. Um, usually for like an executive search, a recruiter cost ratio will be higher because you paid a lot on a retainer um, for that for that person. And you're still calculating all everything else that you're paying for talent acquisition. And then that retainer from the search will also increase that ratio number. So it, instead of a sense for an alarm, it's like, oh, wow, we had to spend a lot to acquire this type of talent. So let's make sure that that talent is performing. And that's where I go into my favorite recruiting metric, which is really hard to create, but it's quality of hire. Um, and that's that's a really unique way to measure how much revenue does a hire bring in uh, to that company. Um, and I think there was an EDU article that stated, I believe it's, I believe the number is 30%, but don't quote me on that, which a, a superstar performer creates 30% more revenue than an average performer. Um, so take a high recruiter cost ratio, and then you can say six months down the road, well, talent acquisition brought in four hires on this team and three of them were high performers. So we increased revenue by X. Uh, that's that's a really valuable metric to be able to calculate and give to your teams if, if there is a higher uh, recruiter cost ratio associated. But it's usually more nowadays, more of those senior roles. And if you're getting outside help, which would increase that percentage. Yeah, and speaking about this current economic climate, right? Um, yeah. The the, the 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 current economic climate has pr 
prompted right uh, many companies to re re evaluate right uh, their hiring strategies right yeah. uh, what are your insights on how uh, this period has affected this hiring cost in the tech industry specifically right and what do you think are the driving factors behind these changes yeah, it, this has been so interesting, um, very different from the COVID era. This is, I feel like a completely new era where I'm seeing a couple different things. One is leaders are telling our, our teams, not even just talent acquisition, but across the board to cut costs. And that's on tooling. Unfortunately, we've seen it through, through people. Um, many different factors just need to cut costs. But specifically on the recruiting side, not only are we being asked to cut costs, but teams are being, and, and people are being asked to be way more lean than we used to be. In a typical recruiting organization, you would see recruiting coordinators and sourcers and go-to-market recruiters and tech recruiters and product recruiters, recruiters that specialize. And now what I've seen a lot more of is recruiting leaders also carrying recs and recruiting leaders also expected to be HRBPs and provide that type of organizational design. And lean amount of recruiters, way less than we're used to and expected to still deliver um, in current climates. I see teams that had 10 plus recruiters and today they're operating with two. Um, so this is, it's, it's a tough time for talent acquisition because that's hard on people. But it's also, if you're looking at it from the op optimist perspective, it's a really unique opportunity to show the value that recruiting can bring in that moment. Uh, but you have to do it with way less than what you used to used to do it with. So I, I see a lot of recruiting leaders getting very creative with one how they do employer branding, how they reach out to networks, how they like succession plan, all that. It's so much more valuable to have a network ready to go than just starting the search from scratch now because most people in TA don't have the time to take on multiple roles nowadays. Uh, we have way smaller teams than we used to. Yeah, and I guess uh, it was in another interview that, that I read, um, it was about this, uh, when this we have this economic downturn, right? This hiring is slowing down, right? And mm -hmm. it is the right time to build uh and just to, to optimize your your uh, recruitment like uh yeah. process uh and what what advice do you have for companies facing this these situations right now oh my gosh yes this is a very good question i think the the i think the one consistent thing i've seen at companies of all stages and and sizes I've even seen this at wheel uh, is not knowing what you truly need uh, or, or consistently being aligned across organizations, what we need for a certain role. If, if a company doesn't know that it's very, very impossible for a talent acquisition team to, to find the right hire, which then creates a very bad recruiter cost ratio because the hire might not work. You have to re-recruit it. Cost per hire goes through the roof also, and then you're just spinning wheels, hoping that you luck into the right person. So in a slowdown, this is the, this is the time to shore that up. Let's really get specific about our interview process. Don't, don't ask an interviewer to do too much. I think we can all agree as recruiters is uh, there's a lot of bad interviewers out there. 
So let's be very specific about what we're asking our interviewers to do. No more than, I'd say, two to three competencies that each interviewer should look at. All of them should be different. And then hopefully at the end of the interview process, we have a well-rounded view of what this candidate will bring to the table, which means we should see some strengths and some weaknesses. And when we talk about those weaknesses, we say, is this a weakness that we're willing to develop or is this a, a deal breaker for us? And we should feel after that interview process, a lot more confident of we know what we're getting. Um, so being able to sure up and create those very, very like diligent, very specific interview processes are, are critical. And, and being able to shore up the organization from an org design perspective of how do we build this out? And what are the ratios? I, I hear all the time, it's like, oh, you know, if I get this many salespeople, then I need this many AMs. But what leaders fail to realize is it's all connected on a string. And if you add X AMs, then you create a strain in operations because operations is now need to provide data for those account managers. And if you have a strain in operations, then you may have a strain in product because product needs to build more features to make operations lives easier. So it, it goes along the whole spectrum of the organization when you add to a headcount. So be able to shore that up and understand if we hire one role, where, where do we need to like, add more love to in that in that next hire, uh, what what parts of the organization organization will strain when we add X. Um, so being able to understand how the org changes as we grow is really critical. And there will be a lot of data from HR that you could partner with um, that will help talent acquisition plan their strategies moving forward. And uh, you also talked about leveraging this multifunctional software, for example, like CRM, right, to optimize costs, right? Mm -hmm. and what What about existing channels like uh, job boards, talent marketplaces? Mm. Are they still efficient in delivering value, or is it time for sort of transformation to offer more utility? Yeah, I think the latter, and. I, I talked to this other company who's uh, early stage about a month ago about this, and they were deciding if they should pay the premium for for a job board. And kind of what I spoke to them about is like, it's funny, I think a lot of people looking for jobs will still go to the job board to look for jobs, but they'll actually apply on the company's website still uh, more often than not. So from an employer brand perspective, it's probably great for companies to be involved in boards that they value, but to be able to quantify, to find the ROI and explain that to a CFO, you might not see the numbers because you don't truly know if candidates are actually applying on that site versus going to your website to actually apply. You don't know how many jump ship from there. So the ROI case in these job boards isn't always as strong as it could be. Uh, but from an employer brand, especially if you're an earlier stage company, it's, it's vital. You you want to show you your every time that your brand gets introduced to a candidate, it's valuable, assuming that you have your brand in a good place. Uh, but yeah, I think there are different ways now to to reach out to talent, and I think talent acquisition could be the best marketing tool for an organization. Um, and that's how it was with Wheel. And when Wheel started, we're, we're a little bit more in the public eye now, but our brand was white label completely until this year. Um, so most people didn't hear of Wheel until I spoke to them uh, for the first time. That was the first instance I, that they've ever had a conversation about the company. 
Um, but getting into those job boards like built in and, and, and such, even LinkedIn, it's, it's valuable just to put the logo out there, put the brand out there. So people have somewhat of an idea of what we're doing. But I think there is a lot of room for innovation because like I said, the ROI, ROI value is still really hard to quantify sometimes. Yeah. And speaking about that, probably my last question, what features should your dream talent marketplace or job board or some recruiting software or recruitment, so, uh, recruiting uh, platform uh, should have to make your job easier and to help you maybe cut your, your uh, hiring costs? Yes. That's a really good question. Cause there's, there's so many different avenues uh, like from, from a marketplace um, obviously like an interest or an ability to um, I think looking ahead, I think is the biggest piece of like a job board. Um, usually when somebody posts on a job board, it's because they need this person now. Uh, but what I've, what I think is really valuable for teams is like, if we, we already know, because we have a headcount plan, what's coming three months from now. So how can we create a network of candidates that fit the personification of, what we would typically hire in that org and how can we activate them on our brand now? So when we're ready to spin up the search, we have people that we know are interested that are familiar with our brand that have interacted, followed our, our sites on social media, have emailed us back when we send out a blog post or a news announcement. Like how do we get a network of candidates activated before the search starts? Um, because then you're looking at significantly decreased time for hire, which will, help cost for hire and the ratio, but also a better chance that the candidate is a great fit because they've already shown the passion for your brand. Um, and if, and you know from their backgrounds that they already are a fit because you've put them in this network. Um, it, it's, it becomes a hopefully a very quick and easy process and you're looking at two weeks to hire in that sense, which is unheard of in our industry. So that's what I would say is more forward thinking down the road. Got it. Um, so I guess then we're good, Greg. Thanks a ton for joining us on Default Global today and for sharing your uh, insights on Wales' impact on consumer-centric uh, virtual uh, healthcare, right? Your unique yeah. take on recruiter cost ratios. Uh, yeah, so we, we, we cannot wait to see how you and Will continue to make this uh, let's, let's call it waves in virtual healthcare. <laughs> yes. So thanks a lot for your time. Yeah, thanks, Vid. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, and hopefully we can keep it for to use the pun, we can keep the wheels going. So sure. <laughs> appreciate it. Take care. Thanks, Vic. Take care.